All right, let's dive into it today. This is the last message in this series of All Things New. And uh, uh, you can turn, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 10. The book of Acts chapter 10. And uh, before we get too far into it, though, um, just as a, a, as a springboard into our topic, how many of you have ever been uh, in, uh, not invited to something and it rubbed you wrong? Go ahead. Raise your hand. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. It's, we, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Uh, I got um, about four or five years ago, uh, me and four other pastors um, went on a fishing trip in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And now they go every single year and they always take five and one of the guys dropped out. And so they invited me to come and, um, uh, you know, I told my wife, I said, yes. And she said, have you lost your mind? You don't know how to fish. You have no camouflage. Um, and I'm like, I don't think I'm supposed to have camouflage for fishing. I, I, I don't think, I don't think they can see me cause they're, they're, they're kind of like that. I don't think it's in a lot of that. And, and so, um, you know, camping is, is not having room service at a hotel in my world. Is anyone in my world with me? Like, you know, if you don't have room service, we are roughing it. Um, but, uh, so we flew to Minneapolis, got in a van and, uh, we walked around with canoes above our head. We went deep into the woods. Uh, we set up a tent, we had fire and uh, if we didn't catch any fish, then, then we don't eat. And um, we, they had to actually teach me how to cast because um, the fishing pole that I was familiar with had um, Scooby-Doo on the reel. <laughs> and, and this had no Scooby-Doo on the reel. And, and so they, I went to treat it like the same thing. And my, my bait just boom, just fell like in the water. So you're supposed to like flip this thing and still hold the string and then let it go with your finger. And it's just like this, uh, it's a big mess. Anyway, we all get out in the water. I cast as soon as my worm or whatever, a frog, whatever lizard, it hit the water. Bam, this, this bass, this smallmouth bass just grabbed it. Now, if you ever hear me tell this story outside of this sanctuary, you're going to hear me say a 12-pound bass, all right? Since I'm in the sanctuary, it was more like three. All right, two and a half, two and a half. But it was a mean two and a half. And he just pulled up. So I'm reeling, I'm reeling. I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And so I, I've got it like halfway in the water. He's banging against the canoe. I'm like, what do I do? And the, and the preacher says, take your thumb and stick it in his mouth. I took my pole and I moved it back. I was like, you put your thumb in the mouth. He said, we don't have any ladies on this boat. Put your thumb in that mouth. I'm like, this thumb only goes in one mouth in his mind. So we have this brief argument and the fish against this, this, this. Finally, I had to hurry up and get mad at the fish so I could stop being scared. Have you ever had to do that? I got to get mad so I can stop being scared. So I was like, ah! And I stuck my thumb in his mouth and pulled him up. I'm yelling. I was like, oh, I'm your daddy right now. I mean, just. <laughs> I'm like, now what do I do? What do I do? Go 
is get them their <laughs> get them their pliers. You ever someone talk to you like get them them their pliers right there? I'm like okay. And so he goes, now get out that hook. And I'm like, what in the world? So I'm like doing surgery on the, for 45 minutes, trying to get this hook out of this guy's mouth. Finally get it out. I'm like, now what do I do? He goes, now release him. I, I threw him in there and the fish was like. And I was like, I, I, he's not swimming. He goes, well, you took too long. He's dead now. Now you got to scoop him up and eat him. I'm like, I don't want to eat it. I don't want to eat him. I don't want to eat him. I pulled out all the meat whenever I pulled out the hook. I don't want to, I don't want to meet him. And so all week long, the only thing that I was telling myself was positive attitude, positive attitude. Don't let them know you're ticked. Don't let them know you're mad. Don't let them know that you want to go home. Positive, positive, positive. I'm like this. I wake up. I showed up to the campground with a suitcase full of clothes because when you go on a week-long trip, you're supposed to bring clothes. Little did I know you don't change clothes on trips like that. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I didn't know that the clothes you show up in is the clothes you go home in. I didn't know that. And, and you, th those clothes, you can't wash those clothes. They're beyond repair. You have to burn them. And the way men live out there, you can't even tell other people about how barbaric things get. Because I showed up and I was like, all right, everybody, this is my coffee mug, the blue one. The blue one, I'm going to hang it right here on this branch. Just want everybody here to know that's my mug. And, and I got my, my spoon and my fork and my, my knife all in this cool little ring. And I'm going to hang it right here. And they're looking at me like they were just going to bend me over and spank me. And next thing I know, we're all using each other's cup and mug. And <laughs> it was just, <laughs> the first time it was gross. Second time I was like, whatever, man, I don't care. I'll die out here. Just bury me. Just can't bury me in a porta can because there's not one. Uh, we got off the trip the next year. I heard that they went on the trip again and they didn't invite me. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I wasn't going anyway. I didn't want to go. I, I, I already broke my fishing pole. I, I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't want to go in, but they didn't invite me. And so I went to a conference and one of them was in the bathroom when I walked in. True story. I come in, I see him. I went, well, well, well. <laughs> True story. Haven't seen him in a year. Well, well, well. Other guys are like going, what's going on? I was like, so he goes on a fishing trip. All the guys are looking like I lost my mind. And he didn't invite me. I'm like, well, let me just tell you. Didn't want to go on your fishing trip anyway. Huh. And then he came and sat by me during the conference. I was like, no, 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 no. It's too far gone. It's too, there's no, there's no repair in this too far gone. And, uh, and you know, we hugged it out afterwards and everything was cool, but I wanted to be invited and then tell him no thanks. <laughs> right. I wanted, I was preparing my speech. 
Had my speech already, been sitting on it for a year. Had my speech ready to go. It didn't give me that opportunity, didn't invite me. Bummer, big time bummer. Um, I know that was a long runway into my sermon, but you kept laughing, so it pulled it out of me. It's your own fault. So uh, there's a guy in the Bible named Cornelius, and uh, he wasn't a Jew, so there was a lot of prejudice going on. Uh, see, Jesus, when he walked on the earth, he would talk to anybody. He would teach anybody. He would do miracles for anybody. Uh, but the disciples, if you weren't a Jew, they wouldn't talk to you. And when Jesus died on the cross and then he rose again on the third day, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ's salvation, the road to salvation, it was in the hands of the disciples. And they wouldn't talk to Jews. So we got a big problem because Cornelius uh, was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And so, therefore, raise your hand if you are Jewish in this room. Raise your hand if you're Jewish. Okay, so nobody put their hands up. That means we're all going to hell. From their perspective. Let me finish my sentence. Somebody was like, no, we're not. <laughs> so, from their perspective. And so Cornelius was like, just like you, no, we're not. No. And so all of a sudden he decided that he himself was going to pursue God without the help of the disciples, without the guidance of the disciples, without those things. Let me read this to you in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, watch this, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. And so point number one, there's three characteristics about Cornelius that I want to point out. The first one is that he was God-fearing. God-fearing is a very important thing. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're afraid of God, like he's going to stomp on you. Or he's going to electrocute you. Or he's going to start ignoring you and push you away if you uh, make a mistake. That's not what fear means. Let me give you a few adjectives on what fear means. Fearing God means to be in awe of him. To be reverent of him. A sense of adoration, honor, worship, confidence, thankfulness, love. It's and, and yes, there is an element of fear, but let me describe the fear using an, uh, an, an antidote that, that I've used before. Um, my, my daughter, when she was um, in the second grade, um, uh, was in elementary school. And, and that morning, my wife said, I need you to pick Presley up from school. And she said, are you going to remember this? I said, yes, I'm going to remember this. She goes, will you do it? Will you, you promise you're not going to forget? I'm like, Allie, come on. <laughs> you see where this is going. <laughs> come, leave me. I got it. I'm sitting in a meeting here at the church. My cell phone goes off. I look down at the caller ID and it says her elementary school. My heart panics because it's like 345, 415, somewhere in there. I forgot to pick up Presley. I get in the car. Pedal to the metal. I'm flooring it. I'm like, zzz, zzz, zzz. then I get behind 14 
school buses, and all of them, stop sign. You can't pass a bus when their stupid stop sign is sticking out. So I'm like, stop putting the stop sign. I'm trying to pass you. And of course, I'm yelling at him, talking to him. And every time I'd, I'd kind of creep by one. If you, you know when you pass somebody that's going slow, you can't just pass them. You got to look at them while you pass them. <laughs> I've been wondering what you look like. I knew it. I knew you were going to look like an idiot. I knew I could tell. Before I met you, I knew you were an idiot. I, you know, pass them. You got to look at them. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's human nature. You just got to look at them. And then once you pass them, you got to look at them again, right in the mirror. I'm like, yeah, I just passed you. How you like those taillights? Yeah, you like that? You like that? Maybe I took it too far. I pull up to the school and I see... Presley sitting on the curb by herself. No other kids there. No other teachers there except one. The one teacher that had to wait for her to pick up. And the teacher was like this. Because she had to wait for me. She, I, she was ticked at me. So I come running up. I didn't care about her. I grab Presley. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Daddy's so sorry. I'm so sorry. And, and she says, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I had a fear of her that I didn't want to disappoint her. I wasn't afraid that she was going to slap me in the face with her little tiny, you know, second grade hand. I was afraid that I had disappointed her. That's a fear of God. You don't want to disappoint. He's done too much for you. He's done too much for you. He, he paid attention to you and he paid attention to me when we were not even paying attention to him. He stayed with us. He was faithful to us. He watches us when we sleep. He's patient. He's patient. His, the Bible says that his mercy is fresh every morning. Imagine you drink a gallon of milk. Go, 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 go. You put the empty container in the refrigerator. Go to sleep. You wake up. You open up the refrigerator and the milk is full again. It's crazy. But that's his love towards you. It's new and it's fresh every morning as if he has never given it to you before. So whenever you pray, God, I know I've got to be like, you forgive me like so many times over this. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. It's like the first time. His, his mercy is new and fresh every morning. And so we don't want to disappoint someone like that. That's the fear of God. And when you start realizing, when you reach that place where you don't think about them. You don't care if you disappoint them. That thought doesn't even cross your mind. The desire to honor him, the desire to worship him, the desire to praise him. When that begins to go away, that means the fear of God that you have is starting to go from a blazing fire to a struggling ember. And if you lose your fear of God, it is the greatest loss you will ever experience. But Cornelius, despite all odds, despite not having a pastor, despite not having a church, despite not being allowed to be around the disciples, he had a fear of God. Number two is that his family feared God. 
He looked at his son. He looked at his daughter. He looked at his wife and he says this, look, we are going to serve God. We are going to serve God. Now, assuming, give me some poetic license here, that he had teenagers. And teenagers know everything. I have a 13-year-old. If there's anything about your life that you don't know, call her up because she knows it all. She knows it all. And, 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 and if she doesn't say that, daddy, I know it all. She doesn't say, daddy, I know it all. She doesn't say it out loud like that. It's her face. Her face is telling me that I'm stupid, right? And I, and I look at her, I'm like, you're telling me that I'm stupid. I, I, I see what you're doing. I see what you're No, I'm not, Dad. No, I'm not. Mommy, would you talk to Dad? Like, oh, so you're going to gang up on the stupid guy, right? I said, know it all. So if Cornelius is looking at his teenagers and saying, we serve God. Daddy, we are not Jewish. We're not allowed in the temple. We're not allowed to go break bread with them in their homes. We're not allowed to be around them. Jesus was a Jew. This is not for us. And Cornelius had to dig his heels in the ground and say, yes, Jesus is for us. See, here's the thing. If you are a husband, there is going to be times when your wife, she is struggling to keep her fear of God ablaze. She is struggling to come to church and to be passionate about the things of God. And it's your responsibility to lead that charge like a Cornelius. And then there's a lot of times where it's not the husband that's on fire. The, the husband is worn out and he's tired. And now it's time for the wife not to nag him because that won't work. But to lead the cause. To encourage the process. It's our responsibility. And if you're single in this room. You got to find that other person that says, okay, you watch for me and I'll watch for you. We got to do this together. It's interesting that when Cornelius had a fear of God, the kids, the family had a fear of God. And how do we, what, what do we do with that fact? We recognize that spirits reproduce spirits. You teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. You find a father who's on fire, you find children who are on fire. You find a mother who's on fire, you find children who are on fire. And, and if you say, well, I've got a kid. I raised them in the fear of God and they're out being wayward, acting like crazy people. There's a hook in their jaw. They can only get so far. There, there's something planted on the inside of them that will whisper while they're out acting like a fool. This ain't right. This ain't right. They will remember that the scriptures say in a twinkling of an eye, one blink, one blink, the next blink, children of the Lord will rise up and the rest will stay here. They'll never forget one blink, one blink. You say, well, they seem to be getting away with it. Everything seems to be fine with him or with her. That guy, our neighbor, is getting away with it. They are in a season of grace because God is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. We've got to get our children. We've got to get our children in the house of God. 
Cornelius was Italian, so it probably went a lot like this. Shut your fat mouth, get in the car, we're going to church. (laughs) Number three is when Peter, one of the disciples, was on his roof praying. I've been to Israel. I never understood how you could, why you would be on your roof praying. Um, Because if you're on your roof around here, we're going to call the cops. And we're like, there's somebody on the roof. Um, But in Israel, especially in Jerusalem, it's like the houses, like you could walk walk out the front door and then walk up and you kind of walk up and then next thing you know, you're like on the roof. It's, it's kind of like, how many of you grew up in, in the north where there was a lot of snow? Uh, it's kind of like that. You can just kind of walk around your house and up and then you're on your roof. And, and then, it's, it, anyway. Um, so here Peter is, is praying. And God begins to give him a vision of, uh, and, and let me just summarize for the sake of time. It gives him a vision of being kind and nice and sharing the gospel with people who are not Jews. And Peter woke up and he was like, that wasn't from God. How many of you have ever had God speak to you and you're like, no, that's not God. Have you ever been real mad at somebody and you feel the Holy Spirit say, apologize. And you're like, Satan, get behind me. Get behind me. Have you ever been there? Just me. Okay, that's cool. It's... it's, Peter woke up and he said, God, that's not God. God gave him the same exact dream again a second time. He woke up. That was pizza. He didn't say pizza, but he didn't believe it. Back to sleep. A third time, same vision. And this time when he woke up, the Holy Spirit actually spoke to him. Because Peter had this hard head. So if anyone here is a little hard-headed, just know you're in good company. Peter and I are with you. So in the vision, the Lord led him to go talk to Cornelius. And when he showed up to Cornelius, not only did he introduce him to Jesus... But he said, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then let me just tell you this. When you pray, say to the Holy Spirit, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. I say it to the Lord almost every single time I pray. Holy Spirit, I will start thinking about other things. I will start getting distracted. I will start... uh, Teach me. Help me to pray. Do you know, here's a little personal thing. I don't ever pray without a pen and paper. Ever. Because 10 times out of 10, when I start praying, I start thinking of things that I need to do. Buy milk. (laughs) I just write it down on a piece of paper. Done. Don't have to think about that anymore. I think, uh, shoot an email to my dad. Shoot email to my dad. Done. Don't have to think about it. I got a meeting coming up. Boom, boom, boom. And then I go back to praying. Boom, boom, boom. There we go. Nothing's going to stop me from praying. But I tell the Holy Spirit, 
help me pray because I want to pray in such a way that God is drawn to it, that he enjoys like it's sweet incense coming into his presence. Touch my lips, touch my voice, touch my heart, touch my mind. And while you're touching my mind, touch my ears. Watch this. This is the second thing. Holy Spirit, help me to hear him. I want to, I want to hear you. I want to hear you. And then number three, this is the big one. Help me to do what I hear. And see, Cornelius changed the entire tide of his life. He changed the entire tide for his entire family. You and I, Gentiles, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of free salvation. And Cornelius was the first one. How do we change our own tide? When things are not going well, we keep a fear of God. We make sure our family has a fear of God. And we whisper to the Holy Spirit every chance we get. Let me just talk about next Sunday for a minute. I've wrestled for the last six months about what success, what a successful life looks like. I turned 40 on St. Patrick's Day, and maybe that's why I'm like wrestling with this. Because I know what success is not. But to tell you what success is has been very troublesome to me over the last few months. Because I don't know about you, I can't just live. You know, I can't just live. Um, if you're sitting here thinking, success, Frankie, why are you wrestling with that? You're a pastor. A pastor is what I do. It's not who I am. Right? So what is success? Um, and I felt like during this fast, the Lord gave me four things that define what success is. And yes, there is an attachment between what you do with your life, what you do professionally with your life that equals success. But it's just one of four things. There's four cornerstones that determine whether or not a life is successful. And I can't wait to share it with you next Sunday. And if you're ever going to invite a friend, that's a cool thing to invite them for. Would you all stand your feet for me, please? Bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? If the answer is no, but today is the day where you get your life right, Today is the day where you say, my fear of God has, has dwindled and I, I want that ember to turn into a fire again. Would you just raise your hand right where you Go ahead and raise your hand. There we go. Hands are going up all over the room. Can we all just raise both hands as a sign of surrender to the Lord? And let's say out loud, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Come on, let me hear you. I surrender my life. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life.
keep your eyes closed. Let me pray a blessing over your life. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. May the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen.